Bonjour, mes amis, and welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. Today we are talking self-nurturance. My guest is Cora Darlington. She's a life coach, a cognitive behavioral therapist, NLP therapist, executive coach. She's really focused on women, particularly women entrepreneurs, resilient leaders, she says, uh, are made from transforming burnout and time poverty and enhancing self-care joy and effectiveness. So that's what we're going to talk about is how radical self-nurture can shift your whole experience of being in the world and not uh, impact your efficiency, but rather amplify your effectiveness. So to prepare, I'd like to do a moment of self-nurture right now. So just if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but if you're in a place where you can close your eyes, just take a minute and settle in and see if you can feel your own heartbeat. And take a big, big breath and fill the whole chest cavity, open the sternum, lift up and spread the collarbones, and just let it all out with a big whoa, exhale. And a couple more of those, like just cleansing breaths, remembering that you are whole and complete below the surface of whatever's going on. You are totally stable and at ease and graced. And maybe in this space, you can ask yourself the question, what do I need? What do I need to be more joyful, effective, impactful in my own life? And just go with the top hit. All right, one more big breath. Exhale. And please welcome to the Rose Woman Pod, Coach Cora Darlington. So, so tell me a little bit about you. Um, how did you get into this coaching? How did I get into this? What, a, what, a, what, a, what an interesting question. Um, so I've probably been a kind of nurturer uh, uh, of women kind of all my life, um, starting with my mum. I think, you know, most of us women can uh, attribute our relationships, uh, you know, right back to our mums. And I always was in a nurturing position with my mum. And um, I have witnessed her all of her life actually struggle with um, prioritizing herself, um, looking after herself, caring for herself um, to the point where a couple of years ago, she or about four years ago now, actually, she had a huge, huge burnout and a breakdown. Um, and she very nearly died um, during that period of time. And I was already coaching women then. I've been coaching and mentoring women for like over 20 years. Um, but it was a kind of, it was one of those moments where, and I was actually at that point in burnout myself, even though I was a, I'm a fully qualified um, executive coach and life coach and NLP therapist and CBT and meditation uh, instructor and medita- uh, yoga instructor, um, all of those skills, all of that, that wherewithal and yet still I, I had found myself in breakdown 
um, and burnout because I was trying to juggle being a wife um, and a mum to a nine-year-old and um, a corporate role as well as my own coaching business. And so it was ironic because me and my mum found ourselves poorly both at the same time. And it was just one of those moments where I just thought there has got to be another way because I didn't want to give up my work because I loved it. Um, and I love being driven and I love being purposeful and I love being passionate. Um, but I, I also couldn't carry on the way that I was either. Um, and I just went to work really 20 years of, uh, experience of, of, of being around women and knowing the narrative there, watching all of the, the experiences my mum had been through and then all the experiences that I had gone through. Um, it just, I just took all of that and um, just put it into the work to allow a, a woman to, I know we talk about having it all and I think that can be a real trigger for people, but I think, you know, having it all is possible for all of us as long as we do the work to know what our version of having it all is versus what the world thinks having it all is. And possibly even the idea that you can have it all, but you don't have to have it all at once. It can be serially over the course of a lifetime. I've been really trying to get people in my life in, to think about a body of work or a body of play over the course yeah. of one's life and not try to stuff it all in at once. It's very interesting yeah. that the caretaking of your mother, like sort of this, what is often um, in, inferred to be uh, an inversion of roles, you know, where the mother's supposed to yes. take care of the child, that the actual caretaking yeah. of her led you deeper and deeper into this professional career of witnessing and caring for other women. Yeah, I mean, it was complicated, of course. You know, I definitely got to a stage in my life where I felt resentful of that caretaking role. Um, I felt like it had overshadowed, overshadowed my own life for a while. And, and I think my road to freedom in terms of that was allowing those feelings because for quite a long time I just accepted things anger is not uh, an emotion that I'm particularly used to sadness and grief yes but not anger um, and I as a young person I would just take things on um, and it wasn't until I got a bit older that I realized that the only way that that I was going to be able to move past it in any healthy way was to um, just allow it really. And that didn't mean, you know, um, being confrontational with my mum, although me and my mum have had some really, really candid conversations. Um, but it meant just being okay that I was feeling the way that I was feeling. Um, and then just looking at how that had shaped me um, in everything that I do, actually, and being okay with that. Um, has been like a huge, huge journey. And then just really embracing that nurturing women is my superpower. You know, re it really, really, it really is. It's my joy and doing all the work around not being um, codependent, you know, and all of that type of stuff has just really allowed me to, um, you know, blossom in my work, I guess. It, so it sounds like, you know, this sort of pointed out and taught you or showed you your empathic capacity and also in all perfect ways gave you an insight into how not to do it. Like if you were really going to take it out into the world that it had to come from this independent and loving place. And that, I mean, it sounds, it sounds wonderful um, as an evolution where you're just allowing everything to be integrated and be what it is. Yeah. I, I think, I think this acceptance part, you know, so often um, when I work with women, 
They are in internal war with themselves because they are driven visionary women, like incredible women who love their work. Um, and yet, um, but they also want to be mums and they also want to be wives and they, you know, they also want to, um, you know, make time for themselves. And there's just this internal um, thing that goes on an awful lot of guilt um, about the way that they are. Maybe they're high performers or they, they have decided that they're workaholics and, one of the biggest pieces of work that they do is just to integrate all that they are. And in the kind of allowing all that they are, then they're able to ask themselves the question, how do I support that? How can I support that? If I am that that I am, then what is it that I need? And what do I specifically need? Because it's vastly different from one woman to another to support myself, you know? Okay, here's what I learned. That like I do, I love working. I love working as sort of an em um, emphatic participation in creation. And yeah. there's also sort of a, a um, an expectation or a meme that you will do it without it looking like it's work. You will, what the the pub the face that you're going to present to the world is like easy and uh, lovely and patient, and you really have all the time in the world for your family and socializing and what we used to call stenciling the driveway, like making a perfect home. Yeah. When the yeah. fact is, is like, there are just days that I want to get up and ignore all of that stuff and go right into the idea, like write, write what I'm, write what I'm called to write, or I had an inspiration overnight. And that, I, that vision of a woman as a driven inventor, creator, or worker, I don't see a lot of support for that vision. I think some of that may be, uh, uh, for sure, what I've experienced is that women are not honest about how it is for them. They're just not honest about how it is for them. And they are not comfortable with um, being seen as messy and not having it all together. Um, and then that means very often that they're isolated or they isolate themselves you know, from people. There's shame in the, in the you know, not being perfect. That definitely happens. Um, and I think that, you know, once you, so I def, I had a client that um, was on the spectrum, an incredible mind, but definitely not linear, amazing at, at, at certain things and just not so great at some of the, um, you know, technical side of things. And, you know, spent a long, long, long time uh, making sure that everybody on the surface thought that she was doing okay. But real freedom came when she just, was honest to herself and then eventually everybody else about how it was for her that she was able to just say, well, I'm really good at this stuff, but I'm not so great at that. And I need some support with that. And I need some help with that. And I think that, you know, sometimes we're not so great at even admitting that we need support and help to wrap around our brilliance. There's like such a, um, a pressure to be brilliant at everything. You know, and I think sometimes that has us in bondage. It, it has us denying who we are and struggling when we don't need to, for sure. So interesting. I, I, I want to I merge two questions together then in response to that. So when you were first talking about how you got into this, there was a whole laundry list of alphabetical uh, achievements, you know, NLP and all of yeah. certified coaching. And so you've got yeah. all of this thing where you're like clearly moving into this love of the way the heart, mind, body work in the world and mastering skills. And then on the other side is this reality of the way things were for you. So when you and your mom had that simultaneous uh, experience of burnout or breakdown, what did you do to sort of merge the, this truth-telling insight about the way it really was 
with all of the achievement-oriented or credential-oriented skill accumulation from before, what was the process that you were that you went through to reconcile the two? And also, is that somewhat of the process that you've now developed for your clients? I mean, what did you do when I, you hit that spot where you had all the skills, but now came the time for it to really hit hit the hit the ground in your own life? There must have been some way of investigating how to make that happen. That sounds like when the genius moment occurred in some ways. Yeah. I think, I think that I, it felt really dark at the time. Um, you know, I was back and forth the hospital, um, seeing my, my mum, um, looking at the culmination of a lifetime of denying her own needs, staying mute about her own opinions. Um, you know, seeing all of that and then also dealing with exactly what was going on in my own life. And it sounds, it doesn't sound so magnificent, but there was a whole lot of allowing. There was a whole lot of trying, not in the moment, not trying to find answers for things, not needing to know why or how or any of that. There was a kind of graceful um, feeling it all and waiting to see how it diffused, how it fell. And, you know, even sat by my mum's bedside, actually. Um, I, so I lost my my uh, father about 16 years ago now, and I've done an awful lot of work on myself in the interim um, between him dying and then my mum being, you know, really ill. And just witnessing the amount of work that I'd done on myself and, and, for, and really benefiting from that because I was able to sit around my mum's bedside um, and feel all the things that you feel, uh, you know, a daughter who's about to uh, lose her mum. And yet um, this knowing, like this undercurrent of knowing that everything was going to be okay. And I think that's because of my practice. It, for the last six years, my earnest practice is to fall into what is this teaching me? Like what what richness is here? What can I garner from this? And um, there was a passion that was born inside of me, I think, um, to find a way, uh, not just for me, but for, you know, a, a lot of the women that I had been around, you know, for, like I said, over 20 years, you know, I've been around a lot of narrative um, with women. There was like a passion to find a way um, for us to be able to be all that we are um and yet not feel depleted and not feel like we have to somehow compromise and not feel like we have to um give up on large parts of ourselves but not from a defensive place it felt really mm -hmm. important for me that i didn't want to rally you know there's an awful lot of um especially here in the uk and i would imagine there as well there's a lot of stuff around um the anger with the way things are with women in leadership, you know, and it isn't that I don't know that that's there because of course I do, but I just really wanted to come from a place of exactly the place that I was coming from. Actually, I decided in that moment that I was going to treat myself like a newborn child, that I was going to, I was, I was going to nurture myself like I would my daughter when she was first born. What, what, how would I have been for her was how I was for myself. Um, and I just noted what it 
what the steps were in order for me to in order for me to do that and just wrapped around myself in the most in the most sublime way and dealt with all of the things that came up around you know are you being self-indulgent are you being selfish you know all of the all of the things that come up when you make yourself the priority uh, How did that manifest itself practically? So I um, gave myself permission to take a break from my corporate role because I had, um, I was qualified with all of those things. I was kind of my own worst enemy because I had all of those tools. I didn't allow myself a break from my corporate role, even though I knew that I needed that breathing space to be able to deal with what was going on with my mum and what was beginning to happen to me. So I physically cleared some space. That was that was really important to me. But I just started asking myself the questions. What has me feel joyful? What has me feel alive? I didn't Google like I think a lot of us do, you know, like a generic list of, you know, what we should be doing in order for us to, you know, feel better. And it'll be yoga, it'll be meditation. All of those things are really wonderful practices. But I think very often we don't do the work to find out what our personal joy is, what aliveness means to us. And so I did the exploratory work, really, just to to, to really um explore what those things were for me and i gave myself them before i did anything else before i did anything else i did all of that i filled myself up first and then did so that would mean in from a practical sense that you know your mind will say i need to start work especially if you've worked for a corporate company and you're used to you know working particular hours you know, it would be that I would start work at nine o'clock and then I would finish at five o'clock or whatever it was. But when I was really with myself and I asked myself what it is that I need and what are my natural rhythms and flows, you know, it would be on a Monday morning that I would not feel like speaking to anybody until maybe 11 or 12 o'clock or something like that. And then one of the things that I discovered about myself was that I have got a real love for just wandering without agenda without any idea of where I'm going, but just going on a walk and just wandering. And so I would allow myself that, you know, for the first couple of hours of the day, I would just go missing and wandering and I would just fill myself up and then I would come back and I would start my work. And what I would notice is that even though physically it looked like I had less time, the work that I did do and when I was doing my work felt like joy. It felt like ease. I felt productive and I was productive and the results that I were getting were, were much better. And so the radical part of my work really is to get a woman to understand that she is the asset of her own life. And if she's not doing well, nothing is going to. And so if you were literally to just put yourself first and then, how would life feel, you know? Well, this, this sounds like a delightful way to start the day and just... But, I, but I'm really intrigued by this investigation into what is your own unique fingerprint of joy and that it's going to be different for each person. Like even if you said yoga or meditation, like I know which yoga is my joy and which one is torturous yes. for me. And I know yeah. which, which way that I meditate that creates expansion versus contraction, like with ones that like limit me, you know, sort of feel like I'm trying to impose an old structure an external structure yeah. versus one that's emergent. Um, but, and yeah. I found that to be true also, Cora, like 
this idea of if I get my dance on uh, or I talk yeah. to a friend or I reconnect with my yeah. family before I get into work, yeah. I'm so much happier. There was an yes. old book like, uh, do you remember way back in the 70s or 80s, 80s, I would say, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. Do you remember this? It's like a classic. Yes. Yes. And I he do. talks I about do. you I as do. the golden goose. He says, you're the golden goose. Yes. And that always yes. <laughs> that stuck with me. Yes. I absolutely love that. I totally love that. I think one of the most powerful things that you can do, though, and this is one of the things that I've noticed, you know, for all of the questions that I ask a woman is, you know, what is it that you need right now? And that was definitely a question that I was asking myself, especially when I was in my burnout, like literally minute to minute, what is it that I need right now? What is it that I need right now? And being okay with, you know, maybe not knowing in that moment, but it was the fact that I was asking myself that question. I was approaching myself with the utmost care. And so it is less, it is not just about the habits. A lot of the work that I do is very practical. I look at people's diaries they let me in I look at what they're doing when they get up in the morning till when they go to bed at night and really just take a look at all of their micro habits but my thing is that a woman begins to approach herself from a different way so when we look at self-care for instance because I love a dictionary definition right so if you look at the the you know the words self-care that that is um is the definition is the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being and happiness in particular during periods of stress now when i read that definition that just strikes me as uh like looking at self-care as like a survival mechanism i must do these things to survive right versus when you look at self-nurture the definition for that is to care for and protect someone or something while they are growing to encourage, to cultivate, to cherish. It's like a very, very different energy to it. You know, one is how can I damage limitation? Whereas the other one is I am growing and I'm encouraging myself and I'm and I'm nurturing myself. There, there, there is a it's a very, very different approach. But one thing for sure that I notice all of the time is that women want things to be easier, but when you scratch the surface, there is such an addiction to the struggle. Mm, that's true. I mean, first, first, and I, I just want to go back to this need thing. Like, what do I need right now? Even that question, yeah. you know, what do I need right now? Um, I might say water, but but there's just even getting in touch with and allowing and honoring the fact that you have needs. Because yes. I think you're not supposed to really have needs past the age of 18. <laughs> just just no, a general perception. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so this switch between like self-care and self-nurture, um, that's such a subtle, like our, our, the tone that I've been trying to strike with Rosebud Woman is one of reverence from the very beginning. Yes. That you're worthy that. just yeah. uh, from your own being, your existence is, de- is a priori holy. And yes. so I love this shift in language because care does seem like a little bit ch- trimming your, your toenails, you know, doesn't yes. exactly seem yeah. like I'm nurturing a growing being. So no. self-nurturance and need are highly, are highly tied together. But now let's go on to this thing that you were just saying, addiction to the struggle. I have a little, yeah. I have a little story yeah. from last week. I was at this, um, I was at this detox center for two weeks because I have mold poisoning and I was 
not feeling well. So I went there to do a full detox and there was an exercise classes in the morning. And the people who come yeah. to the classes are like, some people have leukemia. Some people are just there for a tune up fitness wise. And in between exercises, they had a decent song on and I start dancing around. I start dancing with a couple of other people. And um, I hear other women in the group. One says, you shouldn't do that. You could sprain your ankle. And then I hear another woman say, oh, we're really showing our age knowing these songs. Women who weren't dancing, I will say. And I was thinking yeah. about like, like that all, this is the exact same external circumstance, which is totally joyful yeah. and fine. And the internal yeah. voices of every person in the group in response to it was like a little, it was an autobiography of suffering. Yes. Of how yes. they project the story that's inside of them of yeah. bad aging or, or being afraid onto the world around them. And that's, yeah. that's sort of what the, like the addiction to struggle comment you just made brought up. So how do you unwind that? If you're addicted to the struggle, how do you become aware of that addiction and how do you unwind it? So, I mean, it, I mean, the awareness of it, you know, so a woman will come to me and they'll say, you know, I, I can't carry on like I am, you know, every day I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. Um, I just feel like I'm going through the motions, you know, I thought it would feel better than this, you know, just all of that stuff. And then, you know, we begin to do the work to, you know, just really start to put some structures in place that are going to have them feeling, you know, easier, that, that are going to clear out some spaces for them to be able to breathe more, you know, that work. Um, and then there is this resistance there. And it's because I think it's a couple of different things. I think sometimes women come from proving, you know, I'm proving that I can, I can do this. And, and so when we come from a place of proving, we very often um, treat ourselves like human performance machines. And when we're treating ourselves like human performance machines, there is no real space for you to treat yourself like a human being, let alone care for yourself. But there's an also martyrdom thing. There's like, if I suffer enough, then I will deserve this success. If I struggle enough, then I will deserve this success. It's like um, the addiction to the busyness, you know, it's like this persona of I'm just so busy all the time. I'm just, I'm, I've given up so much in order for me to be successful. And I'm seeing that so, 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 so much. And, and, and I think women worry, you know, if I, if I don't look busy all the time, will people think that I don't care or I'm just not committed as, as my male counterparts say, for instance, um, you know, I see, I see that, uh, addiction to the, the struggle come up an awful lot with an awful lot of women that I work with. And, you know, part of the unwinding of it is just the realizing is you just, you know, realization and awareness is, is massive, it's huge. It opens something up and then it just begins to do its work. Right. Cause I think we live in a kind of culture where we want answers to everything right now, but once awareness opens and you're aware of something and you know something, you can't take that back. And I think that that begins opens the opportunity for a different way of being, you know, uh, uh, and a different way forward for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something even deeper in here. Like if I suffer, I deserve that yes. whole, that whole line of thinking is so tied in with, you know, transgenerational programming and religion and all kinds of uh, things about earning your way into heaven, yeah. um, earning your way into your title. And the the countervailing cosmology is something like it's not me anyway i'm just expressing like the universe is running through me and i'm expressing it and it's easy i'm a channel 
you know what yeah. but but there's got to be a way to start recognizing uh that belief and, and and consciously shifting the underlying belief structure i guess it's it's like you're noticing the struggle but how do you change this deeply these deeply entrenched cultural patterns around what is being what what is being worthy yeah it's interesting i i guess you know for me it's like it starts with the awareness and then it starts with just taking a little look at where it's coming from you know as much as far back as you possibly can i guess and then it's in the world of action i believe that things begin to actually change you know so my experience would be it's almost like a hand-holding thing, you know? And then that is frowned mm -hmm. upon, right? Because we're supposed to be self-empowered. We're supposed to do everything by ourselves. And that's like this thing. But I, what I notice is that, you know, when somebody is stood by us that cares about us, you know, when somebody's invested in us, when somebody's watching us, you know, when somebody's loving us and they're holding our hand, we're able to try new ways of being, a new way of, you know, saying something, you know, um allowing things that you wouldn't normally allow i noticed my um i was walking down the road with my little girl and she loves to sing and she was um we weren't holding hands she was kind of walking in front of me and she was singing along to a song um and she held my hand and the minute that she held my hand her voice went up uh, you know, so much, so much louder. She was singing so much louder and she was so much more brave and her body language changed and she was just so much more confident. And that was a moment for me. I was like, I really get that. I get that when, um, you know, somebody is with me um, and they're holding my hand that I can be that much braver in the world. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. All that I know is that as soon as a woman gets a level of awareness and they can be honest, you know, do you actually want it to be easier? If you do want it to be easier, then let's just one step at a time, take a look at what that could look like and could feel like. And then let's deal with everything else as it comes up, you know, as it comes up, because none of it is linear. Absolutely none of it is linear at all. This is beautiful. The idea of that healing happens more with another person. And that the ability to do the good, the little actions that lead to big change um, is, is enhanced when you're holding someone's hand. That, that is a counter to the do-it-yourself, isolated meat suit model of modern culture. Yeah. But it's beautiful. So I've never um, had a coach and everybody who has one loves it. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about what the coaching process looks like and, and how people should go about finding the one for them mm. the coaching process you know it, it, i i'm starting to i'm almost starting to really struggle with the it's interesting isn't it i'm also i'm already starting to struggle with this whole coaching thing it feels like every day i probably um i probably go over the line in terms of coaching <laughs> of what it is to be a coach you know professional boundaries and things like that because i really do you know fall in love with another woman's journey you know and what is going on for her and so the coaching process my specific coaching process do you mean or just coaching processes just in general well i how should we do it should we, i think the question is a little bit broad so let's um 
yeah, let's talk about what what you do, basically, like how you intake a person, how you assess or develop like an intention with what you're going to be doing together, how much of it is, you know, a personal or a professional thing. Like, what's it look like to work with someone like you or with you in particular? And then we can talk more broadly about, you know, yeah. choosing a coach or or why even do that? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that the, one of the first things that I will do is, um, run a certain process on a woman's life. So I take a look at, um, it's almost like a, um, like an assessment or a diagnostic actually of their, um, business life and their home life, just to take a look at exactly what is going on there. Now that can feel really intrusive for a woman for sure. Um, but it allows me to really be able to get actually inside of exactly what is going on so that I'm able to I'm able to make some suggestions very quickly and very early on so that a woman who is in, you know, some, some women come to me and they are, you know, they're not in a great way at all. And so we're looking to find a way to bring immediate relief and less overwhelm to their situation. So the first thing we do is get clarity, really. And I think that's the same in any coaching process. You have got to start with a certain uh, degree of clarity. Where are you right now? And can you be absolutely honest about how it is for you? And so there's a really beautiful process that I go through um, in order to open somebody up. That includes some meditation. I'm a massive advocate meditation meditation has 100 percent changed my life and so meditation is a tool that i use within my coaching and it's just to get a woman present to exactly how it is for her right now and that obviously means creating a really safe space um and then from there then there's like a series of different explorations there's a whole exploration around um their joy you know what has them what has them feeling alive how do they even want to feel actually how do you want to feel every day when you wake up in the morning how do you want to feel when you're in your business how do you want to feel when you go to bed at night you know there's a, a guided process uh, again that that in, that includes some meditation that just draws that out of them and then we just take a look at okay well if you want to feel this way if you want to feel these ways what has you feel in those ways and then once we know that then we can begin to create um, a framework um, that they are able to you know begin to make that real in their lives and see what that is actually like that includes things like applying what I would call non-negotiables. Some people call it boundaries. I, mine are called non-negotiables. And they are things like um, absolute, like tiny little things that you um, apply to your days and your weeks and your months to protect the things that are really important to you. So if I give you an example, um, I if I've got a busy week, um, it may well be that I might feel guilty because my little girl might be seeing me less. But my non-negotiable is that every single Tuesday night, without fail, I will pick her up from school. I will not have any tech. And she has my uninterrupted present time for that Tuesday evening. And it does not matter what else is going on in my life. I do not touch that period of time. That's my non-negotiable. Now, what that means is that allows me to feel much more free of guilt it makes me feel much more spacious the rest of the week. It, you know, it, th that little tiny little non-negotiable frees up so much energy that would otherwise be having me feeling guilty or having me feeling scattered or having me feeling like I have to find time for my daughter. It, it, they, they seem silly things, but these tiny non-negotiables, they just free up so much internal 
um, space and so much internal energy um, for us. And so we go through this uh, whole non-negotiable exploration. And then we also look at support teams. You know, what is it you need as a support team? If you could just say to yourself and you could highlight, this is my zone of genius. I don't enjoy doing this and I'm not very good at that. What would your support team look like? And of course, along with that comes the, you know, energetic work to allow yourself to be supported because very often we don't want to do that. We don't want to, we don't even want to admit that we need to help. So there's an awful lot of stuff that goes in, uh, into the work that I do, but also one of the highly practical aspects is that I will um, be with a woman every single week. We will pull up their diaries or we pull up their, um, and we, or when we look at their time, what worked really well last week? How did you feel last week? And then, you know, what does your next couple of weeks look like? You know, what do you want? What do you want to build in there? So for instance, if a woman's got a massive, massive project coming on, the classical way of dealing with that that I see is that they just will throw themselves into it, get it over and done with as soon as they possibly can, and then deal with the fallout after. And I'm saying, if you are approaching yourself from this place of nurture, and you're taking a look at this thing that you've got on, you know, that's coming up for you, how do you wrap around that? Who do you need to have communication with? What do you need to put in place? So not only do you get through it, but you do it and you enjoy it. And then at the other end, you're not trying to put yourself back together again. Um, and so, yeah, they're just a few of the processes. processes. I mean, that, the, even that example, like I've got a big deadline coming up. It's going to be harder for me to feed myself and my family healthy. It's yeah. going to be harder for me to get the sleep that I need. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to you know, order in one of those food delivery services. I'm going to pre in, in advance make dates for my kids to do other things that are interesting to them. You know, there's the, the, just the idea that you put a framework around it so that you don't feel depleted and the guilt can be released. That's, that's, uh, I, I don't, that's a new idea for me, like just to anticipate. I mean, you've, unless you're an infant, just starting your career, you've been here before. Yeah. And you know, at the end yeah. of two weeks, what you feel like when you haven't exercised for two weeks and you know, you, you've gotten five hours of sleep and not all and not and most of it not REM. So just just even simple things like that. But deeper than that, inherent in the, your process is uh, an alignment between your deepest values and your time. And it yes. feels to me like you get a little bit like I get janky internally when I'm living out of alignment with my values. And so maybe. Oh, yeah, so much, so much. So a big piece of the work that I do is around a woman's values their core values because this alignment like it pisses me off I don't know whether or not I'm allowed to swear <laughs> but it but it but it like it, it really frustrates me because people will say you know is it an alignment but until you've done the work to know your values what is most important to you how do you know what you're in alignment with and not I mean, it's interesting because when you say someone comes to me and they're generally in crisis, people don't generally embark on a new um, coaching process or even a therapeutic relationship unless they're really in a problem state. And yet mm -hmm. your process is you do a little triage, it sounds like, but taking down people to some really core places. What are your needs? What are your values? What's the state that you actually desire? And then we can engineer tricks and habits and I can align with you and hold your hand to make that a reality. Mm -hmm. That's, that's deep work. It really is. It's life architecture. You know, it's like lifting yourself out of survival mode and just really learning how to be the architect of your own life, you know, really. And, and I think one of the biggest things that I witness 
um, the transformation that takes place is that not that everything in life is going perfectly well, because we know that that does not happen, but there's a confidence about them that they know how to navigate anything and everything that is going to be coming at them because they know they know what they need and they're not afraid to give themselves it. And so that's freedom. You know, you're not selling somebody a pipe dream of do this, do this three-step process. And at the end of it, your life will look amazing. It, you know, it is, it is not like that because life is not like that. But their viewpoint on life is very different. You know, by the time they finish the process, how they approach themselves is hugely different. And their skills to be able to navigate themselves through life, not just in the survival mode, but just in, in the most beautiful way is there, you know, even when things are not great. And and I think that's probably one of the things I'm most, I'm most proud of. You know, there's been some amazing examples of, you know, women that were struggling with one child and running a business. And now, you know, they scaled their business and then they're into their second child and they're doing it gracefully. You know, that doesn't mean everything's perfect, but they are stable internally um that that is that is huge and i guess my my vision really is to nurture some you know is to is to hold space for some of the world's most incredible women actually so that when they're out there doing their amazing work they're doing it from a full space rather than from a space of depletion you know you know, you know for, your meditation is your meditation is showing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true it's like this I, I i don't know if michelle told you but i live on a volcano i live on the world's most hazardous wow. volcano in fact and you know there are um tremors on the regular and you are getting this very uh, physical reminder that you live on a quivering planet but yeah. the reality is that the culture is quivering our economies are quivering life in these bodies is always changing you never know what's coming and so this cultivation Mm. of the inner stability um, that can respond to the world as it arises in the spacious way seems to be uh, like yeah like the birthplace from which even more wonderful things can happen i love that as as an approach to uh coaching not as like performance coaching you know how to be better at what you do it's like it's really it sounds more like being a guide to the inner stability that would allow you to do your best work in the world. And and yeah. that, that's beautiful. That's interesting as you say that, because inner stability is probably if somebody were to say, what are you most proud of? What is your biggest personal achievement? It would be that I've come from a place of such fear and, um, anxiety for the first 30 something years of my life to feel the inner stability that I feel right now is probably nothing less than a miracle and so I think because I have experienced such a massive transformation around that and I know the freedom there because once you know once you're in it internally stable it doesn't matter what life brings up you know you're going to be okay and so I greatly want that for women so I can't, this is already an hour, if you can believe it. Um, yeah. I can't. <laughs> but and we're so aligned in, in this uh, vision for what is possible. And to be in your, in, I, I think of it on the daily of like, where's my freedom? Where am I not free? Yeah. And uh, I've been watching lately, if, I'm, if I get contracted or tight about something, 
or yeah. uh, I get like, you know, I have a particular tick, which is my face pinches up when I'm up, like literally yes. my mouth looks like a sphincter when I get nervous. <laughs> it like just puckers up. Like, like I have little, I've never smoked in my life, but my aging tell is the little lines around my mouth from being a pucker face. And so I was like, I was like, I know that there's not my, one of my tells that I'm not free is if I'm puckering my face or if I have like yeah. an energetic contraction or if I'm bored, that's another tell yeah. that I'm in contraction, that I'm not being free with my choices. I'm bored if I'm resentful. Um, and yeah. so for me, the noticing is like, where do I contract? And then like letting that resolve and just notice it. Yeah. So that's also the fruit of, of meditation and body practices. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've been trying to deprogram the whole thing that you mentioned earlier around, like, you have to be like really showing how hard you're working. You you post, oh, how yes. hard you're working, but you never post the fun you're having. Do you know? And you never get, you never, you never see anybody, you know, you see these people get up on stage and they're talking about, you know, they give their story of like success and there's so much admiration for the struggle. You know, it's like, I lost my business and I nearly lost my, my marriage and, and then I went through all of that and I was like really successful, but you, there's not that much applause for the person that gets up there and goes, wow, you know, I, I kind of just found a way for it to feel easy, not easy as in I wasn't working, but ease and effortlessness and ease and effortlessness are probably my favorite, favorite, favorite ease, effortlessness and spaciousness really like they yeah. light me up. And I am determined, like determined to be a physical live demonstration of what it looks like to um, have the most beautiful life with ease and effortlessness and spaciousness. But there is not that much admiration for that experience. <laughs> People think you're lucky then and it's not replicable because yeah. work is replicable, but luck is, yeah. not, luck is not. And I want to say that, that let me, I don't think that's actually reality. I think what's replicable is... Um, Finding a way to see synchronicity and see serendipity and understand that when that's hitting you, there's some intuition at work and that often yes. following that is, is, is you're being invited into a less effortful way of manifesting yeah. what you, what, what is yeah. possible and that to trust that just as much as you trust the sweat of the brow. And, or if yes. not more, and people yeah. will ask like when we were studying this particular business, and I kept saying, you know, the stars just keep aligning. The right people show yeah. up, the right relationships show up. Yeah. And it seems a little magical, but what's behind that ease is listening to women, you know, listening for the voice, asking the question, hey, I'm looking for a great supplier. Do you know anybody who does that, that, that really spaciously? Yeah. And that, that like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a, I'm getting the same work done but I'm getting it done with a different quality of inquiry and play totally. than I did in 20 totally. years ago in my early career when I was just a fierce pucker face. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know what? I think one of my, I think one of my, one of my biggest practices, I read the, a book by Michael A. Singer called the surrender experiment. Um, and it completely changed my life. And I think from that day on, surrender became something that I was so intrigued with and practice all the time. And people look at surrender and they're like, you know, it's passive and it's, you know, it's a cop out or whatever. But I think surrendering really to the flow of life, really trusting is probably one of the most courageous, strong things that you can do, you know, that you can really, really do. It's, it's such a... Um, 
I've surrendered for the last five to six years and, and followed what I would call divine breadcrumbs is what I like to call them, you know, just an intuition here and an idea there and a, that comes from directly from a space of meditation. And then when I look back, how it's all strung itself together, I could never have even foretold or foreseen, you know, ever. And so I love that about life. You know, there, there, there's two aspects that come up when you say that in the surrender, the idea of, of the divine breadcrumbs, by the way, very, very beautiful. I like that as a title for a book, Divine Breadcrumbs. But it, it, there's two kinds of surrender that, that I think they're surrendering to what is, like not arguing with reality, which is yeah. this is happening. There's no need for me to get, to make yeah. it worse by getting upset about it. It is what yeah. it is. And then you can navigate your way out of it with a lot less stress or tension. Instead of kicking yourself, yeah. it should be different. Well, it's yes. not different. Why bother? Why yeah. bother with it should be different? Unless you use it like later as a way of improving process or trying to figure out something, some way to avoid it from happening, stop it from happening again. That's yes. the one kind of surrender, yeah. just acceptance. And then the other piece yes. is there are forces at work that are greater than my will. And that, yes. that if I'm tuning in, like I believe... In Buddhism, for example, um, it's the only religion that's continually that has ongoing revelation baked into its theology. So yeah. they believe that the, the, what is needed in the culture, teachings that are needed in the culture, will appear spontaneously in time space to be downloaded by specific scribes when it's when wow. it's necessary. Which is, you know, that's not present in Christianity. It also precludes no. the fact of new people being channels so this idea that there's always something going on that that that, the, that you can listen into and and birth in in the greater yes. in the greater collective consciousness is the same reason the yeah. same inventions appear simultaneously all over the earth at the same time it's not just tesla yeah. that did the tesla you know the tesla coil there were others at the same exact time and so there's something yeah. about saying not only is surrender not weakness it's actually opening me up to receive Yes. Uh, a, po yeah. a greater possibility. Um, yeah. If I if I'm not so tight and hanging on to just yes. this situation, so you live in sort yes. of a modern, uh, a, a contemporary mysticism almost. You allow for a little bit of that to inform your QuickBooks, you know. Yeah, this is what I mean. You know, the 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 job that I'm, you know, it's a kind of a, a roundabout sales job I do really with the women that I work with because I go in on one in one way, but what they're really um, learning is is that prepare this prepare your environment prepare your atmosphere for joy and then connection and then new inspiration and you all of those types of things so we go through this process but really secretly covertly <laughs> i'm getting them to really create this beautiful atmosphere for themselves that is just going to make them so much less resistant and so much more open to the light and the love that they really are um, yeah. So today, sure. we're going to prepare our atmosphere for joy. I'm going to find a little bit of divine breadcrumb to follow. I'm going to ask myself, <laughs> what do I need in the moment? And uh, yeah. I have a feeling it's going to be a better day than usual, which they're yeah. pretty good anyway. <laughs> um, are you going to? Are you working on a book? Are you working on a program? Or is there some way that people can get in touch with you? I am. Um, I, I have a twelve-month. I have a twelve-month program which is called Thrive, um, and it's twelve months because um, the truth of the matter is, 
you know, a lot of this stuff is really long-term behavioral change and it takes a long time to embody something different. It takes a long time to be different. And I think any shorter than that, and um, it doesn't feel real and honest to me. Now, other people might have a different opinion about that, but when I really felt into it, to walk with a woman for a year, you know, when the process is over, um, there is just such a magnificent shift. So the the program with me is for a year and it's called Thrive. Very, very beautiful process. And that's uh, coradarlington.com? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's been absolutely lovely to talk with you. Oh, thank you so much oh, for, thank for your you time so today. Much You've got such a beautiful way of expressing asking questions. I'm really very much involved. <laughs> I think we've been on a similar path unwinding <laughs> unwinding the patriarchy that's in your own system all right have a wonderful day you too thank you so much for joining me on the rose woman pod i'm christine marie mason your host the pod is brought to you by rosebud woman a company i started in the intimate skincare space you can find our amazing products at rosewoman.com vegan plant-based pure effective all the good stuff the guests and I imagine people out there when we do these shows and think, how can we bring one little bit of insight, one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world? So if you like the pod, you know what to do. Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. Have a wonderful day, no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent. See you next time.